0: Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? What is
1: up, Karthik? We're special Friday edition uh, of the pod. Friday record usually drops on Friday. We couldn't even bring ourselves to do it this week. You're the busiest man in America, but <laughs> you know we hate to break our streak. We recorded from various locations around the world we're both quarantined at home it would be pretty bad if we missed a week in this climate
0: now nah, we got it in we're here on a friday um hopefully some good weekend listening for the for the listeners um but what do you want to talk about man we got there's been a lot of nba action a lot of things going on what are your thoughts
1: you know, I was thinking about this, right, because the NBA is kind of in full swing now. Uh, football is wrapping up and you know we're going to get to football because it's been awesome. The matchups have been crazy, like all the marquee players. And I think that's definitely di- diverted mine and definitely your attention a-, a little bit. But I was thinking, like, I'm just not into it this season. Um, I don't know why. I mean, there's a few ideas I have in terms of what's missing but there definitely feels like a malaise kind of hanging over the overall NBA architecture um, we can get into some of these reasons but night to night yes there'll be some fun games there'll be some interesting games but it feels like it's lacking that sizzle um, that I think I'd normally expect and I'm normally excited to see uh, with the new NBA season who's playing well what new teams look good you know what are the rookies that are showing out like all of those things are still true but for some reason I'm missing a connection to the game that I feel like we've had in previous seasons.
0: I feel the same too. Um, it's been an interesting start to the season. You know, obviously football and the Bucks being in the playoffs has diverted my attention a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, I think this, I was thinking about why do I feel like this? Why am I not as hyped? I mean, I think we're still all in on the NBA season, but it's just a different feeling that we've had in the past couple seasons. And one, the, the first thing I can start to point to is the fact that this was a really short off season. And at the end of the finals in October, after the Lakers won, I was excited that the NBA was going to start in two months. It was a great, very short break. Usually, we have to endure this long summer with only baseball, which you know I hate, as you know. And so I it liked was, it in twenty nineteen. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. We know the front runner. You are. Um, so it was refreshing to, like, or it was exciting to have that two-month break and then a basketball right away. But now when I think about it, that's why it, I think there was less hype about this season. It felt rushed. It felt like it started so soon. We didn't have time to properly digest the draft, digest the yeah. agency, the rookies coming in. It was boom, boom, short training camp, go. And I think because of that, it, that excitement that builds up, you know, when you're waiting for opening night just wasn't there this season. And, and it's carried over that lack of excitement into, um, you know, the first couple of months.
1: And to that point, you can see the teams that are doing well are the ones that have that continuity from last year, right? Like the Lakers, the Clippers, the Jazz, the Bucks, the, the, uh, the Sixers. I mean, you could argue those are the best teams anyway. So of course they're at the top, but you can tell the teams that are shuffling in, Big pieces or have lost big pieces. You even take a team like Denver, who was without Jeremy Grant, or Dallas, who is expected to contend. They're without Porzingis. They're trying to figure out this whole new thing. I I think because of that rush timeline, it's really compressed any practice time. Uh, this is on top of all the COVID restrictions, Zoom workouts. I mean, come on, that's not that's not going to be effective, right? The other thing is that I think people don't recognize is, you know, the the big pushback of, no, this isn't really a short timeline, right? Some teams have been off since March. They've had nine months off. And that's the flip side is that there's total disarray in terms of everyone's conditioning. There's disarray in terms of like where people were in that process to come back. Like that's the thing you have to understand. It being rushed is not just that the season ended two months prior in October. It's also the expectation of when they thought they were coming back. So... We've heard of this about Luca. We've heard it about other players where the expectation was we're going to be back in late January, February, pretty much right around now, right? They, t- they talked about Martin Luther King Day. So there's a different ramp schedule. A lot of times these guys take a couple months off, a month off here or there, and then they get that slow ramp back to preserve their body, but then get it into peak conditioning. And now all of a sudden you have two weeks to get ready to play 40 minutes a night, and it's going to be kind of a mismanaged product a little bit. Um, you know, so I think that's definitely part of it. And I think the other thing, and we, you have to mention the impact COVID's had, right? Like it's not just about the empty stadiums and and how that's a bit of a weird feeling versus the bubble, because at least in the bubble, you knew that everybody was there every night and like the wizards, for example, they legitimately, I don't know if anybody knows this because it hasn't been talked about. They haven't played in almost two weeks. And when they do play, they're going to have eight guys out because of positive COVID tests. So they have this skeleton squad that's essentially, you know, it feels like a farce to some degree. Like, we're, you know, we were supposed to play the Bucks tonight. We're going to get mangled by like 50 points if we played that game. And overall, that keeps happening night to night. You never know what to predict. Um, and it's really dampened my enjoyment of the game. Yeah, the
0: COVID definitely has has taken a, a hit on the NBA, and I mean the empty stadiums. Look, I actually think it does impact the feel of the game. Not having that crowd, not having the, and it, it's harder to. It's easier to ignore in the bubble in that small AAU like type environment. It's hard to ignore when you're watching this on TV and you know that they're playing this huge stadium. Yep. And and the sad thing is the games have been good. Like there have been good games. MLK had some great games. We have great storylines. It's not, you know, we have now Harden um, on the Nets. We have all these stars playing like this year. Curry's back. Like the Warriors are back, which we didn't have last season. Yeah. Uh, there's no. Durant's playing play. awesome. Yeah. In terms of the talent, in terms of who's playing, in terms of the teams, there's no reason for there to be this malaise. Um, but I, I just think just starting so soon, it, it hurts. And I also do think that, look, if people like us, who love the NBA, consume it on a daily basis, started a freaking podcast about it, are saying that, oh, it's not as exciting this year. Adam Silver really does have a problem on his hands. And and this has been something that's been written about a lot, right? The NBA has this problem where everyone likes talking about it. Everyone likes the highlights, but no one wants to sit down and watch a game. Yeah, And I think that problem is getting exacerbated. And it's getting worse, like you said, with COVID now that games are getting postponed there's no predictability to the schedule anymore and i don't know how you solve that i think they got to rethink the way they do some of these tv deals um or maybe how they get more fans to watch games because right now everything and you, know, you can get league pass but then your own team is kind of um
1: yeah, blackout. and then you have all these like blackout restrictions, which are really freaking exhausting to try to pay attention to. And, like,
0: and no one has cable these days, right? No one has cable. Uh, so many people are cord cutting, so you can't watch your local team. So there is a broader problem at play, and it's starting to get really bad when people like us are kind of experiencing the same kind of fatigue.
1: Yeah, well, so one thing I would say just to put it into terms of like this isn't total doomsday is if you think about where we would be in a normal season – You could argue maybe this is the same amount, same type of attention we'd be paying in early November, right? Maybe mentally, because it's post MLK day, we're a month away from what's typically all star break and what's typically the trade deadline. We think that we should be further along than we are. And in the reality, it's only 10 to 15 games. And maybe we've never really cared about it 10 to 15 games in. We're just thinking about it of like, oh, what does it feel like in late January? Um, So there is an element that could be explained by that. Um, One other thing that I think, um, you know, you talked about the value of watching a game. Not only is the quality of the game sort of like there's a lot of variance. uh, There's a lot more blowouts. There's there are some close games There's some good games, but there are a lot more blowouts. The other thing that I think this has led to with with the rush start is there's a lot more mediocrity. And we always talk about how in the NFL, parody is king. That's what keeps all 32 fan bases engaged because every fan base is its own built-in market on itself. That's not how it works in the NBA. They don't, it's a national market. It's not an individual market the same way, other than in the New Yorks, the LA teams, maybe a Chicago, maybe a Boston, that type of thing. But for the most part, you care about the national teams. And when everyone's seven and seven playing each other, you don't really give a shit, right? Like, Last night the Lakers and the Bucks played, and that's a marquee game for TNT. But the Bucks have looked okay, right? Like the Lakers look great, but the Bucks are another team. They're trying to incorporate Drew Holiday. They have Bobby Portis, a couple different guys getting more minutes, and all of a sudden they're just like, eh. Like tonight, I think it's uh, Denver and Dallas. I believe right on uh, Denver Phoenix on ESPN. Yep. Phoenix has been fun. They've also looked sort of in disarray at times, and we know Denver's had problems. These are teams that are supposed to be at the top of the conference, and suddenly parity in the NBA just isn't as fun um, because we do want to care about the six to eight teams that really matter and just see them play each other over and over again. And then the other thing to your point is we're starting to see such a disparity between regular season and playoffs in terms of teams being able to flip the switch in terms of, you know, like like a LeBron and the Lakers for four weeks can just lock in. I know they were the one seed anyway last year, but they just locked in defensively to a whole new level and they basically destroyed everyone. And if you know, you have that in your back pocket, those 72 games or 82 games mean less to the players. And then of course they're going to mean less to the fans. And I don't know how they solve that. Uh, I think shortening the seasons one, but I don't know. There needs to be other things involved to re-engage from, you know, October to April.
0: Yeah, that's why the mid-season tourney was a kind of a cool idea. Uh, I mean, I know they have a play-in tourney this year, which will be exciting, but that's still at the end of the season. Like, yeah. I, the mid-season tourney was always interesting to me because, like you said, you brought up a good point. We always do hit this point in the normal NBA season around February, like end of Jan, Feb, where we're, things are kind of moving slowly along. We're getting to all-star break. And so they do need something, I think, in the middle of the season to revitalize interest. The parody point you made is interesting because – Look, it's it's great that, you know, for example, the Knicks, big market team. You can definitely, I think it's definitely true that when the Knicks are good, it's better for the NBA. That being said, the Knicks being in the playoffs right now playing well, compared to a team like Miami who's struggling right now, not in the playoff picture, Miami is still the more recent good team, the team with names the casual fan cares about now, with Hero and Bam. I would argue that it's still better that Miami is good than it is for New York to still be, you know, to all of a sudden flip the switch. At least now, because New York doesn't have recognizable names, they're still kind of a squad
1: just getting, you know, getting by I think the Knicks are the one exception to what you're saying. Normally, I would agree with you. Like if it was the Bulls that you were talking about, Chicago is the third biggest market, I would say, yes, I would agree the Heat being better are more important than the Bulls. I think Knicks are maybe the one example of like a team that if they're good, everybody will care. Every eyeball will be on them. So I agree. I think I think more long-term, like if they keep this over the course
0: of the season, but I think just in the short term... Yeah, nobody gives a shit about having, Julius Randle yeah, having seven assists again. That, that's yeah. my point, right? If yeah. they get back to relevance, that's definitely better. But right now, it, it doesn't matter as much. And um, and the, and the crazy thing is we've had a good rookie class, right? One of the worries was this class is going to be bad. There's not a lot of exciting players. They've been balling out. Like, LaMelo's lived up to the height. We've talked about Tyrese Halliburton. Um, Anthony Edwards has showed promise, you know, Okoro, Patrick Williams, all these guys have like, been isn't playing Isn't
1: that the club. problem, though? They're good players. They're not headline grabbers. Maybe LaMelo throws a pass every now and then. LaMelo
0: is – Yeah,
1: maybe he he does something for Ass Eyelets. But Tyrese Halliburton making the right defensive switch <laughs> isn't getting people fired up on YouTube, right? We don't have a Zion. We don't have, like, a, a stud at the top of the class who's going to take over. And that's the that's actually another worry is like there hasn't been this infusion of casual fan driven stars. Tyrese Halliburton's gonna be a really good player for fifteen years in this league. That doesn't mean that from day one he's grabbing attention.
0: I mean, that's true, but how often do you have a guy like Zion in your rookie class? Like he's rare. It's not like every year has some guy like Zion that takes over and you know I mean John Morant maybe the year before you could argue.
1: They were the same um, class. That's why
0: last year was so special. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that feels like so long ago. I know. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. The other problem, I think, is... And the
1: year before, it was like Luca Trey. year before that, you had like uh, the Jason Tatum class with him and Lonzo. So there was like names, I think, that were a little bit more successful right off the bat in terms of show-stopping plays. So we've had a couple of years in a row. And now and Ben Simmons before that, and now you come to it and it's like, all right, well, we're kind of missing something.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, and I don't know. The weird thing is we have a lot of, you know, you talk about parity. While, yes, parity is not that great for the NBA, you do have your heavyweights up top with big names that make it, it should make it interesting. You have the Lakers, premier franchise coming off a title, still with LeBron, still on top. Clippers are doing well this season. Milwaukee is still doing relatively well. Um, and then you have Brooklyn, right? I mean, a big market, three superstars. Why? Like, And you know what's interesting? We talk about maybe feeling this kind of uh, malaise around the season. But you pointed out, and I want you to talk a little bit about this, that the ratings are actually up for the NBA. Yeah. Um, and particularly, I think, when you looked at MLK Day and a couple of other...
1: Christmas uh, Day, like some of their marquee days. Reference points. Yeah. So
0: what do you think is going on there because that seems to contradict everything we've just been talking about.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, right? Because we feel like things aren't as fun to watch and that the numbers are sort of indicating the opposite. My only thought is if you look at day versus past year day, specifically, there's a lot of variance that gets introduced. So for example, the MLK numbers were up 30% from last year's MLK, which is huge. But then you peel back the onion a little bit and you say, okay, what was the matchup this year versus last? And it was Lakers-Warriors with, you know, AD, LeBron, Steph all playing. Last year, it was uh, Warriors-Blazers. No Steph, no Clay. You know, I think Draymond might have been out. So it's a different... So some of those things, you just have like a small sample size. Um, So you have to keep that in in account. But the other thing I think is, I think there's some, I I think what compared to the bubble, the bubble was a an anomaly for a lot of reasons. And the ratings really, I don't think had any, anything to do with the social justice stuff. Like we saw declining ratings across the board for everything but football. So I think compared to that, there is a sense of like, okay, basketball's on when I expect basketball to be on. And that in itself is going to be a boost. But I do think we have, all of the stars playing in big markets. Aside from maybe Giannis, you could argue every other big stars in a top 10 market. Uh whether that's like Kawhi, Harden, KD, LeBron, Steph, you have uh, even Luka, Dallas is a big market. Um you know, you have Zion's another one but he's not quite at that level, so I wouldn't even put him there. Joel playing in Philly, so you have the big cities finally are equipped with the, the, the big players. And then you have things like the Knicks being good, the Bulls being a little bit better than they've been in the past. And, and I think some of that organic improvement there, but I don't know. I mean, there's less competition is probably one thing. Hockey just started. I know that's not a big competitor for the NBA, but they just started up aside from weekly NFL, what's really competing with the NBA since it came back. Nothing, but
0: I think, I think part of it is also just, I don't know. We have different viewing habits. We have different um, kind of leisure activities now with, with the pandemic and COVID. After going through a year of this, right,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, we're just in a different rhythm. Like society is just in a different rhythm. We, we're we at home all day. Um, there, I think, has been, and I don't I don't have the stats to back this up, but I'm watching more Netflix and shows on HBO. Like I've watched more shows in the last, whatever, six months than I probably did in the last two years, right, just as a function of being at home all the time. And so I don't know that there's still, even though um, we're back in the flow of the normal season and the normal timeline, I I just think our viewing habits have changed a little bit. And, you know, before when you'd come back from work and you want to throw on a game and then, you know, maybe eat dinner and do that. Now it's kind of shifted to a different kind of model. So I think that's part of it. And I don't know how to quantify that, but I, I just think that we're living still in a very different.
1: Yeah, And to the point, to that point, the measurement process from a Nielsen is very archaic in how they actually count eyeballs. And I don't think it does enough to capture all the digital based viewing options. And even I mean, even to say there's some plus points for the NBA that right, like all of the league pass subscriptions and things of that nature. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like now it's, you can't just, I don't know. There's also like, there's so many viewing options. There's so many difference in preferences. So like I'm in a household of two, uh, one of whom is not a huge NBA fan necessarily. So like that's not always top billing every single night. Um, But I think that, you know, it's one of the things like we're getting ready to eat dinner. And unless it's a big marquee game, I'm not exactly like controlling the remote on Tuesdays being like, oh, by the way, like Suns, Nuggets, like this is something we have to watch. Right. Like or whatever. Like we're going to watch the flight attendant uh, tonight instead of um, instead of Sixers uh, Celtics, which I'm happy about. Yeah, I'm hooked. I need to see how it ends. But um Yeah, I think there's just like the options are just crazy. And like, that's why it's okay if ratings are different than they are in the past. Ultimately, it's what the TV contracts end up being. And if Turner and ESPN and Disney feel like they're getting requisite ROI, then they're just going to keep paying for it. But if they feel like it's a declining product, they won't. That being said, I think live sports is the only thing that matters from a cable standpoint, Um, you don't need to pay for anything else. Like it doesn't matter if you have talking shows or not. It really just matters if you're showing the games.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, Do you think they would ever, so, you
0: know, you talked about, if. okay, look, the the TV networks are still happy with the current situation. They're still making the money. That's fine. Do you think they would ever break away from the current model we have Um, in in terms of, so those next level, those next set of contracts with the networks, do you think there might be anything fundamentally up for change? Or
1: do you think we're going to still be in the same kind of, um, I think they're starting to. I think if you look at ESPN Plus and all of the things that they've done on that front, including like putting their normal writers behind a paywall and trying to drive as much traffic as they can towards that. I think you're going to see something similar um, with, with sports packages, uh, especially with things like the NBA, where it's national coverage. There's a million games. And so it's not like, you know, NFL Sunday, like those are never going to leave na- uh, network TV, right? Because yeah. that's their audience. That's their bread and butter. For, for guys like you and me who are trying to watch Milwaukee, Cleveland, that's not necessarily going to be national TV. So there's going to be more bundling, more of subscription model. Even now, you look at what League Pass has done where you can buy the fourth quarter of the game, right? Or you can pay like one ninety nine. Like if I wanted to watch Rockets Wizards on Tuesday, Walls return versus, versus old team, I, but I don't have League Pass. I can just, and I don't live in either of those markets. I can just pay $1.99 or $2.99 or whatever and just get the game. So I think there could be more of that pay-per-view type model. Um, I worry about that only because I think it's so easy to 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 skip random nights, right? And every big game is kind of televised. You can get a good flavor for what matters in the NBA by just watching national TV broadcasts. Um, yeah. You don't need to have a take on the magic because they're going to be the eighth seed and get swept. Um, and I think because so many teams don't matter, it'll be hard to get consumers to really care about all 30 teams and the eight that they need to care about are kind of already in their living rooms every night or whenever they want them.
0: Yep. Um, My, my suggestion, and I think I've mentioned this before, the way I think they solve some of these problems is pick four days in the week and only play on those four days, every single team. Mm. And now of course there's plenty of reasons why they wouldn't do that. But think about it. If you have NBA is dedicated for Monday, Wednesday, Friday, let's say Saturday. And that way Sundays is left for the NFL or whatever. And everyone plays on that day. So only of course, some teams will get that primetime slot, but there's some predictability to the schedule. You can kind of organize your life around NBA games. Um, it's one thing I like about college where I know in like the PAC 12 when I, you know, when UCLA is, is good and they're pretty good this season, it's very predictable for me to like plan my schedule around UCLA games. It's Thursdays and Saturdays. Um, when they're playing, for the most part, right? They yeah. have some games on other days. Yeah, um, and, and and that's one of the benefits of football. Yeah, you only play once a week, but the great thing is it's pretty much Sundays, and then of course you have Monday and uh, Thursday as well. So if the NBA just d- went to a model like that, uh, and then you know you know okay, you have a break today, but tomorrow all the games are back on. Basketball's back on. Um, you know there are all these great matchups. I think that would actually help engagement, as opposed to you know every day it's a different number of games, sometimes back to back, sometimes not, harder to track.
1: It's a fair point, especially as we get to a, to a rapidly growing sports betting landscape. Um, part of the problem with sports betting in basketball is things change so constantly and. Uh, you know, even things like load management when guys are sitting out, or things like, hey, this team was playing. I didn't even realize they were on a back to back, like that kind of stuff. And it's actually hard to bet as uh, compared, of course, compared to something like, um, you know, the NFL, but even college basketball to your point, where it's a little bit more predictable. Ultimately, this comes down to the games problem, right? If the RSNs are actually going to drop the 72 game requirement or sort of modify it to some degree where they can be a little bit more creative. I think they can try things like that, but until they get to that point and until that stops being lucrative for them, there's no reason for, you know, NBC Sports Washington or NBC Sports Bay Area to try to change the way that the, the contract is structured. And it may be such that the, at the regional level, they are getting the eyeballs they need to make that contract worth what it's worth, right? It's not just the Turner and, and ESPN, it's all of the regional markets as well um you know and i don't know how much how much revenue that generates versus the national audiences but i do think there's value in that that we're probably discounting to some degree Um, but i think it's an interesting idea if you played sundays tuesdays thursdays and saturdays or something you could try to figure out a way to avoid back-to-backs still keep the schedule as long as it you know as short as it is to get the same number of games but there isn't a question of like oh shit i missed my team tonight because i didn't know they're playing or oh god yeah. i'm Like, I'm fatigued. I can't watch seven nights of basketball, that type of thing. Um, And then you could do more creative things, like whether it's a red zone type approach or whether it's, like, bouncing around. Because right now, that's not very effective. Granted, the sport of basketball. Even fantasy would become
0: more fun, right? When there's that set schedule. But you're right. Until there's an incentive to move away from the current model, it's not going to happen. And and we haven't seen it yet, that incentive. So we'll see how things, you know.
1: All right. So in my boredom uh, of not watching basketball, I did something different. I decided to rank the top 40 players in the NBA. Um, Now this is an exercise that you and I probably do every like three months or six months um, just to keep it fresh. As you know, I can get a little emotional about things a little, I cling, I tend to cling to the moment a little bit, live in the moment. You know, it's what my mom always taught me to do. So I'm going to read you in chunks of 10. Okay, so this is the top 40. I've also included a list of notable omissions. And what I, the first thing I'd say right off the bat is there's a lot of talent in the NBA right now. Um, it's not always showcased because half the people have COVID, half of them are resting. But, <laughs> you know, finding room for guys who you would think are a slam dunk in the top 40 that are not on my list, for example it's hard there's guys who made the all-star team last year that are on the fringe there's guys who made all nba last year that are on the fringe or even out so i think um i'm gonna read it to you in chunks of 10 which i really think is how you should evaluate anyway you tell me what you think all right you re- you ready for this all right let's do it all right number one lebron uh until further notice he keeps the top spot number if you two- didn't have him number one i was about to end the pod Right here and now, we might need to anyway. It's uh, I gotta make eggplant farm tonight. <laughs> uh, number two, Kevin Durant. Surprising, yeah. I'm gonna go through these quick. Number three, Kawhi. Number four, Giannis. Whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah, yeah I edited. On. Hold, on. It. hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. You you have to go to the original list you shared. Um, I'm fact checking you right now. No, none of this. Uh, I made some tweaks based on my reactions.
1: It's in original list. All right, all right, I'm pulling this up. Give me a second. Actually, I know what the top ten was. So I'll read that and then come up to it. So one was LeBron, two was Durant, three was Giannis, four was Jokic, five was Kawhi, six Anthony Davis, seven James Harden, eight Joel Embiid, nine Luka Doncic, and ten Steph Curry. I'm actually comfortable with that. I'll stick with that.
0: Oh, now you'll stick with it. okay. Well, first of all, my um, issue
1: wasn't with the top ten, but continue.
0: Kawhi has got to be a spot higher. This is overreaction to. He's just had a. I mean, it, look, it's a regular season. Kawhi is going to be judged on far more than that. He's top three, top four, and um, Jokic over him. Jokic has been playing amazing. He was my MVP pick. MVP pick before the season started, but you can't say he's a better player than Kawhi right now.
1: Um, well, what about the bubble? It's not just recency. They literally went head to head in the bubble, and Jokic ripped his heart out.
0: I mean, come on. You can't just then. That's like me saying then Butler should be over Giannis. Like, let's. You have to put things in the context. That okay, whatever you can quibble over, the disrespect for Luca and Steph. That was the first thing that popped out to me on this list. They're number nine and ten. You've got Harden fine, but Joel and Bead over well- them too. Look, this isn't a MVP ranking. Like Joel Embiid's had a fantastic start to the season. And Luca is still working himself into shape, if we're being nice. But you're going to put Luca and Steph at 9-10 and 10 in the NBA?
1: Here's my thing. Joel Embiid, when he's played and when he's been healthy, not just this season, for the last four or five seasons, has been basically the best player in terms of on-off-court type production, right? His defense. Defensively, he's light years ahead of Steph and Luca. Offensively, yeah, he's not going to be able to get the playmaking numbers. He's not going to even necessarily be able to get the points that those guys do. But he comes pretty damn close. And when you factor in his health, which has he's looked good this year, and you factor in his defense, I'll give it. I'll give you Luca. I'm not willing to go with this version of I have the 62 point, the little shimmy, and have the whole week of every media person like. <laughs> Slobbing on all over him, but I'm not willing to put Steph over and beat. If you want to talk Luca, maybe, but I'm pretty comfortable with those guys there. And if you think Harden's appropriately ahead of them, then you don't think they're any higher than eight either.
0: Well, here's where the inconsistency comes in your rankings. Harden hasn't had an amazing start to the season. And you know, he's working himself back into shape. So what is your rationale in having him three spots higher than Steph? And look, I'm the biggest Steph hater. I've hated on the Warriors for the last several years. What is the rationale over Harden over Curry? I want you to explain that to me. Because Curry, look, he hasn't had an, a, a blistering start to the season in terms of his shooting percentages. They're down. The Warriors are just kind of middling. But what what's the argument for Harden?
1: So the number one thing you got to know about me, is you do know, and maybe for the listeners, is I'm not consistently applying anything in any situation, right? It's a touch and feel type process. Like I said, I get emotional about these things. The reason for Harden is that he is more night to night productive than Steph at this point. And I know he and I'm not counting him mailing it in for those two weeks in Houston because I think he was literally trying to get traded. He's quitting in order to get traded. You see what he did early in the season for Houston, right? To show all the trade suitors that he still had it. Mm -hmm. And he's seen what he's done since he got to Brooklyn. So when he chooses to play, which in a normal situation is every night, right? This guy doesn't take nights off and he plays 35, 40 minutes a night. He's more productive than Steph Curry at this stage of their careers. That's the reason.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, Now explain uh, Luca then.
1: Luca. And I'm guilty of this as much as anyone, but we're too early on anointing him uh, the way that we're trying to anoint him. He's been with a little bit of a skeleton crew this year. They've had a bunch of injury issues. They've had some COVID problems. Uh, Porzingis is just now coming back. But I think when you factor in the fact that he's really struggles in end of game situations, which is something a lot of guys above him don't. Um, Giannis nonwithstanding when you include the fact that defensively he's he's not quite there yet um, and neither is Harden of course but when you really think about the conditioning the shooting which is you know he's he's probably the worst non-Giannis shooter in the top 10 uh, but he takes shots at a volume like a Steph Curry I think his production is not volume driven it's obviously he's immensely talented but I think it's it tells a rosier story than sometimes what you see night to night with Dallas. That's fine. But I I, I still
0: think that, look, Luca was an MVP favorite
1: coming into the season. And me. I thought that was crazy. I said that then. I was like, this team is not going to finish top three like they want to, like you need to as an MVP. And his numbers can, are not going to be that much better than the 30, 10, and 9 or whatever he had last season.
0: Fair. So I'll, I'm okay with those. The biggest one there was Steph to me. Um, but anyways, let's go through the next tier. All right, here's where the
1: question marks start coming. I might not be able to argue against these as, as viciously or vociferously. It's a nice word. Mm-hmm. All right. Dame at 11. Bradley Beal at 12. Bam Adebayo at 13. Paul George at 14. Jimmy Butler at 15. Kyrie Irving, 16. Jason Tatum, 17. No. Wrong list. Oh, I had Tatum above Kyrie. Sorry. Tatum at 16. Kyrie at 17. Sabonis at 18. Brandon Ingram at 19. And Carl Anthony Towns at 20.
0: Where was Jimmy Butler?
1: I had him... 15? Okay. All right. So you've you've changed... Sorry, sorry, sorry. No. 17. Yeah, there was some disrespect for Butler. Okay, sorry. It goes Dame Beal, Bam, Paul George, Jason Tatum, Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, Sabonis, Ingram, Cat. All right,
0: here here's where I have an issue. Bradley Beal over Paul George, the disrespect to Paul George has gotten out of hand. Look, I loved making us fun fun of him as much as everyone else. He's become a meme. Playoff P, way off P, yada, yada, yada. That's fine. Pandemic P. Pandemic P. You forget, this guy finished third in MVP voting just a couple years ago. This guy's on a track for 50, 40, 90 season in the NBA. Right now, he's top 10 in VORP. Uh, I think he's he's eighth. You know, right behind like guys like Durant, Doncic, LeBron, Anthony Davis. And you have the gall to put him... Not only one spot, two spots lower than Bradley Beal.
1: Can we talk about Bradley Beal? Because right now, I feel like you're ignoring that he's leading the league and scoring by a full five points a game. You're telling me about his defense and all sorts of stuff. I don't remember that coming into play for Harden when he was averaging 35 a game, and that's what Beal's putting up right now.
0: Yeah, and then Harden's team was in the the top three in the Western Conference. We're, it's not we're the Wizards right now.
1: It's not his fault that Russell Westbrook is in a wheelchair wheeling around on the court. (laughs) Davis Bertans, for some reason, didn't remember that he was a basketball player. He showed up to camp totally out of shape. Scott Brooks is playing Robin Lopez in crunch time. Don't get me started on the Wizards. It's not Beal's fault. I can say that much.
0: Look, okay, here's the problem with Bradley Beal. First of all, he's not playing defense, all right? And that has to account for something. We're talking about, and this is where Paul George's value comes in. The, on the defensive end, as well as putting up eye-popping stats this year on offense, um, and and we're we're you know we're indexing too much on that playoff performance. Who cares about how they perform in the playoffs? We haven't seen Beal, and you talk about Beal having oh he's pretty good in the playoffs. He's had one good series. We haven't even seen him that much in the postseason. So that argument is a wash to me. The other thing with Beal is it's not like he's shooting career-high numbers. You know, blistering pace. He's averaging a lot of points off really high usage but it's not his best three-point shooting year. It's just a function of him jacking yeah, up over 30 shots a game.
1: He's triple covered, taking hook shots from beyond the arc.
0: 31 shots a game.
1: That's a lot. No, he's shooting 24 and a half shots a game. But, nonwithstanding. Oh, sorry, I'm looking
0: at per 100 numbers. That yeah, exactly. Me, 31 shots a game. <laughs>
1: 31 shots. Even Allen Iverson would be like, yo, pass, dude. Come on. <laughs> But his shooting splits, given that usage, are pretty impressive. Uh, 50, 38, 87. Paul George has played great this year, but you told me not to be a prisoner of the moment. So what I'm being a prisoner of is him clanging it off the backboard in the game, <laughs> the biggest game of the season last year and the year before when he tried to call out Joe Ingles and then got locked up.
0: Well, Bill was sitting at home, so I don't I don't know what the argument Intentionally,
1: is. Intentionally. We're keeping the Ferrari in the garage till it's time to bring him out.
0: The Clippers have played well this year, not amazing defensively. I don't know what they're doing, but given the 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 meme they became last season, um, and the fact that no one's really giving them a chance this year, I think they're playing well. I think he's locked in, and like I said, it's not just a recency bias thing. He's three was well, no two years ago he finished third in MVP voting. Like, how do you not discount that, or how are you discounting that?
1: I've um, been I've been a George supporter and that's been one of my biggest arguments. It's not like I put the guy like 80th. I have him like 14th. He's still all NBA territory. With yeah, but that.
0: Bradley Beal should not be look.
1: You're anyway. still mad because you picked Melo over Beal in 2017 and tried to justify it. <laughs> look, we look back. Those lists look really
0: funny when you go back to
1: them. I think you had Gordon Hayward top five in the NBA.
0: So let's not let's not top dig five
1: likely that. to be at the U.S. Capitol. Did you not <laughs> see? The full, you didn't see the full title there. All right, yeah. so the next, um, the next 10. This is good, though. You pick one, your biggest gripe with each yeah. set of plans. So the first one was Steph Curry, uh, Embiid over Steph Curry. This one is um, Bradley Beal over Paul George. All right, here's 21 through 30. Chris Middleton, Jalen Brown, Rudy Gobert, CJ McCollum, Devin Booker, Zion Williamson, Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Trey Young. Big fall for Trey there. I have no problem
0: with Trey. My biggest problem on this list is Zion. Um, And I just don't see... So, you know, if you ask who should go over him, I think he should fall out of this tier, first of all. Uh, I think he's below 30. I think a guy like Vucevic, who... Look, yeah, Vucevic is not a household name, but he's been playing better. He's been pretty consistent the last couple of seasons, and he's having an amazing year this year. I was talking about VORP, right? He's, I think, second in the league. Uh, so that Orlando team is competitive because of him. Zion is great. He's high-efficient, low-post scorer. He still doesn't know how to play defense, still doesn't have an outside shot, and that team is still not winning. So, look, he's going to be better than a lot of these guys. He's going to climb up this list. But right now, if you're saying, is he – 26 best player in the NBA, like a top 25 guy, I'd say no.
1: Okay, so part of this list in my inconsistency was it had a little bit of eye on the future. I think the team is going to settle in a little bit. Like They have a weird collection of players, but look, Zion is I think a destructive offensive force right now, even without the ability to shoot, uh, both in actual half-court settings or even from the line, for example. So Despite those limitations, he's putting up monster numbers. I feel like a lot of nights he brings them back from these deficits by himself when he just goes bully ball mode, and nobody can stop him in the low post. Vucevic, Vucevic is a more efficient player. Maybe he's a more well-rounded player. I know he's putting up probably better numbers, but I feel like his ceiling is more limited, especially when you think about some of his past playoff performances. Two years ago, he was totally shut down by Marcus I think... He meets his match when he sees centers uh, that can play defense. I don't know that Zion necessarily has those same kryptonite type options, but fine. If you want to quibble with that, I'll give you Zion. E- yeah, I mean, what I'll say is that I, look, I think
0: more people would be on your side on this one than they would be on mine.
1: My it's problem the is have the highlights at-
0: generation. Yeah, but my problem is you're looking at Zion as if, well, yeah, of course. Look, the fact that he's so good without with having a very limited skill set speaks to how he's going to be as a player or the the growth up uh potential for him as a player but right now like you said he's very limited and if you told if you put zion in a playoff game right now in an important playoff game he would be neutralized as well like you're talking about nikola Vucevic getting neutralized a good team can definitely take zion out of a game so um i'm thinking we're we're getting a little caught up in in the the highlights and the stats um (laughs) He's going to be good, but right now, this is too high. Like I would still take Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul.
1: Um, Fuck Ben Simmons. Him. I'm out on Ben Simmons. Yeah, the guy's ben averaging is a weird season, a game but... right now. Huh? He's averaging like 12 points a game right now. I'm so upset at him. All right. I almost dropped him out of the top 30. All right, <laughs> let's continue. 31, and I'll start. 31, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, Malcolm Brogdon, DeMar DeRozan. Gordon Hayward, Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Kyle Lowry, Kristaps Porzingis, and Pascal Siakam. Your biggest mistake here is including DeMar DeRozan. Um, I co signed this, by the way. Huh? I co-sign. I'm upset at myself. (laughs) Look,
0: he's averaging, what, 27 and 6? Fine. Um, And... And the Spurs are playing better than usual. He's not shooting lights out. He's the same guy he's always been. And twenty-seven and six, like when people tell me numbers like that and they say, "Oh, that's a pretty good stat line," um, on you know decent efficiency. Well, guess what, Rudy Gay? That's like Rudy Gay's prime years. And you know, like Rudy Gay is just a guy. He's a jack. Like Demar Drosen's not the same player. Um, he's still decent. He still can put up points. He can still lead that Spurs offense. Um, they've got a lot of other. A lot of other guys promising on that roster. I don't know how you say he's better than Jamal Murray as inconsistent as Jamal Murray is. Don't
1: talk to me about Jamal Murray. You pick I mean, a different guy. The, pick a different guy. Don't talk to shy me. Try
0: gilgis Alexander. Here's
1: De'Aaron the thing about
0: Fox. Where's De'Aaron Fox on the stupid list, man? You don't even put him in your notable emissions. Like De'Aaron Fox, you just does not exist.
1: He's twenty and five. You want? Here's the thing about Demar. Before when you'd put up those numbers, yeah, ho hum, hum, that's Rudy Gay, blah, blah, blah. Except this year, finally, the advanced stats are on his side as well. He's near the top of the league in PER, in win shares per 48, his plus-minus rating, his on-off-court split. So he's doing all the things that he used to not do along with these same numbers. So that means it's passing the eye test of him kind of holding up a pretty young and uh, spurs team. And I don't know if you've checked in on LaMarcus Aldridge's corpse, but he's done. <laughs> so it's basically a uh, sorry, uh Demar and a bunch of young dudes and they're trying to they're figuring it out. They're playing it pretty well right now. But if I were to go back and redo this, the guy that I missed from here in the top in this tier, I think two guys. One is Drew Holiday and the other is Kemba Walker. I think they should both be in this in this tier and if I had to take out two guys, I would probably take out Demar reluctantly and maybe SGA cuz it's still a little early for him.
0: It is. You know, I I would even maybe argue. Now I don't. Kyle Lowry is. No, Kyle Lowry still belongs there. I don't know who you take out, but I also think Jamal Murray should be above DeMar DeRozan. And you can talk about how inconsistent he is, but he's still, he's gonna, he's still able to give you a lot more than DeRozan can on any given night. Not yeah. consistently, but I think his ceiling outweighs the bust
1: potential that you know, I mean, not that drop seven points. Well, to give you a sense of how deep the league is, like I said, the guys that we haven't even talked about, Russell Westbrook, All-NBA last year, uh, Julius Randle, averaging career high and basically everything, Andre Drummond, the rebounds leader, Colin Sexton gave it to the Nets the other night, you know, Mike Conley, who's kind of had a resurgent year. So there's so many players uh, still that could be named. Um, it shows you J- Jeremy Grant is averaging 25 a game. so it's been pretty impressive just how many players are falling out while we open the pod with talking about how we don't care.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. a lot of good names. I just I can't believe Fox isn't even if he's not in your top 40, you put you know you, you haven't read your notable emissions list, but you have about 10 names here and one <laughs> of them is Chris Boucher. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd take him over De'Aaron Fox and Mike Conley, man. Like the disrespect is just is out of control.
1: Boucher's per minute numbers are insane this season. But all right. But listen, before we go, you need to give me two minutes on championship weekend here. The Bucs are playing Green Bay in the first game. They're going to the third straight road game. Brady Rodgers for the first time in their histories. And then the late game, we got Bills and Chiefs, and Mahomes was cleared today, so he will be on the field. So what do you got for me? What's your game day routine? What are you gonna which jersey are you gonna wear? What's the deal?
0: Game day routine. I don't have a routine because this has not been routine for <laughs> the First time I've done this in in 13 years. That being said, I rocked the Brady jersey the last two weeks. Um, today I'm gonna bust out the old Derek Brooks Jersey that I had from from high school, um, it's a size large, so I kind of drowned in it because back then that's how you know you had to wear the large extra large.
1: I got, I got you, um,
0: yeah. And so that's my game day routine is just gonna watch that, uh, probably watch it at home once again. Like th- apparently this is a lucky place for me to watch, not at a bar, not at some friend's place. It's in just my my parents' house. Um, You're gonna be
1: like. Flap watching the Bucks' zone defense take over Rogers. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I, I do want to say about the game. I think there's a lot
0: of disrespect of the Bucks going on, and I don't like it. Now, personally, I do think the Packers should win. Uh, but there's a lot of – and the disrespect's not even that we crushed them early in the season. I discount that. That was very early. We also got crushed by the Saints. So by that logic, we shouldn't have beat them last week. But I think too much is made of how good Rodgers has been this season. Not enough has been made of their cupcake schedule. Um, they haven't really played anyone. He hasn't been tested that much. And I think if our front uh, front four can get to him, especially with Vita Vey coming back, uh, we can make things difficult. We can get him frustrated. He hates uh, uh Rodgers can get rattled. And so I think there is a path for us to win. At the same time, Brady... You know, everyone talks about our offense, the way it looked last week. Um, and then, we, you know, if you look the last two weeks, we played two of the top defenses in the NFL. Um, we played Washington, who's amazing, and we played New Orleans. And they're both also the top two pass rushes in the NFL. And so this week, much easier defense in terms of pass rush, much softer defense in terms of run defense. It's going to open up a lot of things for the Bucks offense. So if we're able to get into a shootout, I'm confident that we can keep up and we can potentially win. The challenge is we can't go down early. And there's a great stat that's floating around with Aaron Rodgers. He's 70-1 and or 71-1 and when he leads at halftime at Lambeau. Like that stat is insane. Like if he's up at halftime, they're not losing. And so we got to get up on them early. And I think we'll have a good chance.
1: I like the Packers this week. I think the home game, Rodgers' first ever NFC championship at home, I think he recognizes at 37, given how long it's taken him for being in this position. I don't think he realized that back in 2010 when he won the Super Bowl. He knows how precious these opportunities are now. For the first time since then, he's actually favored. Uh, I think since 2014 versus Seattle, he's actually favored in the NFC Championship. Brady can play in the cold. I don't know about the rest of the team. Antonio Brown's out. Vita is back, but maybe limited. I like, I like the Packers being able to move the ball. I think if you go back and watch that game, they start the, the first time they played. They were moving the ball at the start, and then Rogers threw that killer pick, and it sort of just like flipped the whole game on its head. A yeah, and well, look, momentum does doesn't exist. I don't know, but at the same time, that was a very unique set of circumstances. Just like the Bills Chiefs game, I've thrown out the first time they played. Right, it was in pouring rain with all the COVID cancellations, et cetera, and it was so long ago. These are totally different teams. Cupcake schedule, yes, but neither team has really faced a big test in the playoffs. I mean, Tyler Heineke yeah. and Drew Brees are not exactly murderers, row, similar to Jared Goff with a broken thumb. So this will actually be the first good quarterback either one plays in the playoffs. So I think that'll make for an interesting battle. I'm just going with the home team here. I think the Packers yeah. are going to win. I think Rodgers is going to look at this as a legacy-defining game for a lot of reasons. Get back to a second Super Bowl, beat the GOAT Tom Brady, you know, win when you're supposed to win and improve upon a pretty pretty mediocre playoff resume and avenge the one game this season where he looked bad. Uh, I think all those things matter to him. So yeah. Tampa's going to be able to move the ball on this Packers team. I think they're going to be able to run, uh, and that's going to open up some shots downfield. The weather is big. It's not supposed to be windy, and it's going to be during the day, both of which are advantages for Tampa. But I do think it matters that there's going to be fans in the stadium, and uh, Rodgers just very rarely loses at home. Yeah, no, I, I think Packers win too. Um, I the, the
0: the thing I have a problem with is just people are acting acting like they're this elite one seed, this elite team this season. I don't think they I think they have more flaws than people want to acknowledge. Um, but look, Rodgers is on a mission, and I think that matters. I think that matters. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Um, if he doesn't get it done today. I mean not today, this game.
1: It might never happen.
0: Or, it might never happen, right? And so that like that means something and hopefully the team his team realizes that and they play that hard. So either way, it's gonna be exciting set of games. I can't wait, man. I'm hyped.
1: Quickly, who do you have in Chiefs Bills? Knowing Mahomes is gonna be back, but maybe limited by the foot and by the, the head slash neck injury. That one's hard. I'm still going Chiefs. After like I'm not going against the
0: Chiefs until I see them lose. It yeah. they've just been on this tear, and they look more vulnerable than ever, but um, in this game, I, I would still take Mahomes, even if he's going to be a little bit hobbled.
1: Yeah, 24 of the last 25, though they're 0-7 uh, against the spread in their last seven, so all this means is it could be closer than we think, but with the three-point spread, it probably seems like they're likely going to cover and win. I think Josh Allen's going to have a big game. Um, I don't think the it's supposed to... I don't know if it's supposed to snow. I don't believe so, so I actually think this game could be... Mid to upper fifties for the over, but I like I like both quarterbacks a lot. I just like Mahomes a little bit better.
0: Chiefs Packers would be a great Super Bowl. I mean, all combinations would be yeah. pretty good, but um... any of
1: the four would be awesome. I'm hoping for Chiefs Packers Mahomes rodgers would be a fun storyline. Just to, maybe the two best throwers of the football we've ever seen. So. Yep. All right, that's going to be a wrap for us. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Hopefully, that you check this out for some weekend listening. Uh, please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail dot com, and we will be back next week.